Hey everyone, welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and this is episode number 108. For this episode, I am joined by Sandy Bittman. He is the owner of Park Ave CDs, which is a terrific new and used record store. Uh, They sell new and used vinyl, new and used CDs, cassettes, Funko Pops, all kinds of cool stuff. I wanted to talk to somebody from a record store about Record Store Day, and Park Ave CDs is one of the best independent record stores in the Orlando area in terms of what they provide on Record Store Day. So I wanted to have Sandy on, and uh, we've tried to do this several weeks ago, but uh, schedules didn't align, and then uh, Sandy unfortunately got sick. So bringing it to you now. In fact, I want to apologize for there not being uh, any shows in the last few weeks. Trying to get this new business venture off the ground has been a little more time consuming than I thought. I also had some interviews that got pushed or canceled, and so a lot of stuff was happening all at once. So I decided to regroup, and I'm back, and we are going to take care of you right now with a brand new episode. Before we get started, I want to remind you to go to Michael's Record Collection. Everything is there. Links to my social media accounts, at Mike's Records on Twitter, Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Also, there's a link there. You can go check out my newsletter. You can subscribe to the e-newsletter for free. And you can check out my Patreon site where you find out what you get for supporting the show, what you know different levels there are. And of course, the more that you support the show, the more you get in return. I also invite you to write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. And now that all that's out of the way, let's get to that interview with Sandy Bittman, the owner of Park Ave CDs. Here we go. I am joined for a very special episode by Sandy Bittman. He's the owner of Park Avenue CDs or Park Ave CDs in Orlando, Florida. Sandy, thanks for your time. Turn it around, Michael. So I want to start out by asking what I ask all my guests, which is what was your first favorite record? <clears throat> my first favorite record. Uh, it's a question I don't think anyone's ever asked me, actually. Um, I think about it for a second. <laughs> I think my first favorite record that was actually on vinyl was the Queen Greatest Hits I won off the radio station. I grew up over in Tampa, uh, in Clearwater, and uh, I won a record when I was like probably seven um, off the station over there, and it was Queen's Greatest Hits. And um, I just was enthralled with that record because it was the first thing I got in my got in myself, and uh, I won it, and uh, I just would play it over and over again. And it doesn't hurt that it's a fantastic album either. No, no. You know, I can't grow on the greatest hits on most artists. But yeah, it was just one of those things that I was just like, all right. You know, and I played certain songs over and over again and just was, yeah, wore that record out. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's a good one. It, now, you weren't always the owner of Park Ave CDs. You got your start as just a, a part time uh, worker yep. there. Is that correct? <clears throat> yep, that's correct. So I was going to college at Rollins and we were on Park Avenue at the time, hence the name. And uh, I had started there literally working for CDs because somebody was a family-owned business. Somebody was getting married. They needed someone else just kind of help out for that Saturday. And I did that. And then uh, got a couple more shifts, was working for trade. And then slowly kind of picked up more and more hours. And then I was working there almost full-time and full-time. And then one day, the uh, husband of the uh, pair who owned it asked me if I wanted to buy the shithole. And I was like, like, thrown off by that because I was kind of late and thought I was going to get reprimanded for being late again. And um, <laughs> I asked him which customer had made him mad or which rep had made him mad. And and then uh, and I walked down the office, just kind of like blew him off, think, didn't think he was serious. And then um, a couple of days later, I had dinner at their house and 
they laid everything out and I bought the store in 98 had worked there since 91 and then have owned it since 98 25 years so far so ownership that's incredible so you uh you were actually an owner of a record store before record day record store day was a thing uh, yeah which I believe that started in about 07 if memory serves that sounds about right yep did you guys now did you guys dive right into record store day from year one or did, did you wait to see what happened or how did that kind of unfold for you? No, we did. We 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 liked the idea. You know, we were kind of we were we belong to a coalition of record stores around the country. And there's three of those coalitions and all of them kind of worked together to figure this idea out. And so when they kind of brought it to us, I was like, Yeah, why why not? This would be great. I was familiar with comic book store day and saw how friends and people went crazy for that day. And I just thought it seemed like a natural extension to try that with, with records and music. So, but we were still super, like I was super nervous. There wasn't hardly any releases compared to what there is now. And there was lots of giveaway stuff. And, and we remember we, we made cookies, we made cupcakes, we had just stuff to give away, just hoping people would show up to this party, especially because at that point, the conversation for record stores wasn't favorable, um, you know, for the, really the, turn of the century into those early aughts, it was somehow like, you know, record stores were to blame for the high price CDs, record stores were to blame for this and, and yada, yada, yada. So it was an attempt by the stores who were involved to figure out how to change that conversation and to get some good press for independent record shops, because we didn't understand like why somehow we were the villain, so to speak, you know, so. And there's just so many facets to that. You know, I mean, that you, we could go do a, more than one show all on that alone because you have the big box stores who can take a loss on CDs. You've got, you know, Amazon, the rise of Amazon that they clearly can sell it for pennies. Uh, you know, they don't have a, they don't have to support the brick and mortar and you know pay their their clerks and things things like that. And and you know, you guys have got overhead and it's totally understandable. So, uh, yeah. but. Let me ask you this about uh, about owning a record store. Yeah. What is the best thing about that? And what is the worst thing about owning a record store? <laughs> um, the best thing about owning a record store is just the it's well, it's the I mean, it's the music. I mean, that's what got me into this. I mean, that's why I wanted to work at the record shop to begin with. It's that the music's being surrounded by it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like every day feels like Christmas, a certain degree of being able to open up the boxes or open up the mail and see what's there and what's waiting for you. Um, and then that has evolved for me as I've been here for so long into like asking bands or artists, some of my favorite bands or artists to perform at my, rec- my record store and see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting them to say yes. And then being like, Oh shit, these are like my favorite artists that right now is currently playing my store for free. And this is really cool. Um, so and then also <laughs> the staff, I mean, there's like, and the customers, like there's nothing, <sighs> The, the community that's formed around a record store and the things that happen at a record store, I mean, like, it's not, it's definitely not high fidelity. It's definitely not like Empire Records, but it's definitely maybe a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that happen. They're just kind of fun and easy. And and it's, and this is what I get to do. I get to sell records. I get to sell records, CDs, books, tchotchkes and toys, have bands in. So those are all good things. Um, the worst thing about owning a record store is probably for me early on, it was figuring out the mm-hmm. commerce and art issue of figuring out how to like understand it's still at the end of the day still a business mm-hmm. and order for those things the lights get turned on the rent be paid pay the salary of the employees etc cetera, etc cetera. like figuring out that dichotomy and understanding that tension that push and pull and also just hearing 
music and records referred to sometimes by people in, in the industry as product and trying to like just find a balance for myself to understand that in one sense, I guess it is product, but you're also dealing with somebody or a band who've put something together and who've, you know, creatively put this out into the world and they're entrusting people along the way to take care of that and to kind of hopefully relish it and cherish it and, and take, take care of it. And, and I think that was tough for me to figure out that balance of like, it's a record store, but also it's a business and how do we do that? And I still get like, I try to make sure that I don't use that word product and yeah. the staff as well because it's not product it's it's art and it's a it's a form of art and it's 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 what people eh, people cherish it people use it they need it you know and and um you know coming out of the pandemic well in the pandemic that was really evident um for us to see how valuable that was as being a record store to people who needed their fix and needed an outlet to to deal with what was going on around the world um 9-11 was another example of that we people some of us wanted to close i was like there's no way we're going to close it was a tuesday there's a new dylan record coming out there's a lot of big records in september i was like you got to be open i mean people horrible stuff's happening in the world it's like people come to your record shop to help them deal with the world and whether it be something as big as that or something as simple as they got broken up with by their boyfriend or girlfriend you know yeah it's therapy for a lot of people totally yeah, for me too. <laughs> so <laughs> I can relate to it. Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned uh, people coming and playing in your store. Mm -hmm. How did that start? What what was the first you know artist that you had doing in store? I would go back to before I was the owner. We had a few people um, come into the store, and we didn't have many because our, our location on Park Avenue was really small. Um, it's half the size we are now, and plus being on Park Avenue has its own set of complications and and things to worry about. Um, and I want to say the first one that I can remember, um, uh, what's I'm, I'm, it's, I'm space. I can see his record cover. He was on bloodshot. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but he was the first one. Wasn't part of my, my regime, so to speak mm -hmm. over there. We did ones that we did hot water music, which is a Florida punk band. We did fall out boy on their first tour. Um, so, and at that point it was artists who were who could weren't that big yet but could do something in a space that small and were dynamic enough to, to do something acoustic and stripped down kind of thing mm -hmm. but with that being said we did frank black from the pixies over the old location which was like for me was was um was crazy that i asked and he said yes um at that point i had three stores and uh he said yes to two of them and um and we were warned about like don't ask for any pixie songs. Don't do this. Don't do this. A lot of don'ts, you know, and, and, um, you'll get three songs, yada, yada, yada. And he came in and, and he played like 15 songs, did pixie covers. I mean, not covers, but his songs, pixie songs and his songs. And, and, uh, he signed stuff forever. And, and, uh, he was great and a lot of fun. And it was this thing where you realize, like, you know, just let the artists do what they want to do and they're going to give you a good time. Um, and then we got here and then we designed the space specifically so we could have, a bigger stage can have full electric artists bands in here kind of stuff and could do stripped down or full electric and and we had you know from the get-go we had less than jake i think eight people on stage a horn section and you know packed kind of stuff and then um you know also had vampire weekend on their first tour and the national for their boxer album and just tons of people had come through and um it's something that's fun exciting nerve-wracking because 
you know, I, I'm used to like opening the store every day and open the doors and being like, okay, are people going to show up? You know, and then hopefully they usually do. Um, when you have a band in the store, you have to promote that. Are they going to show up and make sure that realize that they're taking time off their busy day. They're playing for free at your business. Mm-hmm. And so trying to make sure their experience is a positive one so that they want to do these things. And that also that they're talented enough to do something like this and improvise and interact with the audience on a really small scale. And most of the time that works out for the best. Yeah. One of the ones that I was uh, fortunate to check out in your store was uh porcupine, porcupine tree, tree. Uh-huh. <laughs> they did the uh did the cd we lost the skyline and i didn't know about it until i went to see porcupine tree the night before they mm-hmm. mentioned it on stage so mm-hmm. i had to come and mm-hmm. uh i don't know if you can you probably can't tell but the second the second thing down from the top over this shoulder that is my signed porcupine tree print from that day oh cool uh, okay um very cool but how you know was that just a, a matter of reaching out to the band and saying would you mind doing an in-store or, you know, how did that kind of come that, about? That came to us, actually. A label reached out to us really? and said, hey, do you want to do something with Porcupine Tree? And we're like, of course, you know, I mean, um, and then they said, we want to record it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And we had a deal with Full Sail, where Full Sail come out with the producers and some students and they'd bring all their gear and they'd set up and, and record. And we have tons of recordings from Full Sail and only a few of them have made it that far. Like the Porcupine Tree has. And, um, and it was, it was interesting because i think it was right at the end of their time on atlantic and there was some tension there i think going on and some push and pull but steven and the guys were great you know like it was super nice and again like we heard stuff from you always hear stuff from labels about maybe how difficult an artist can be when you really realize is that they're not difficult they're more protective of of their art and of their time and of Mm -hmm. what they're doing and and i've learned over the years and i hear that from a label or from people in the industry i'm like oh the artist is just they care you know they care about what's happening and they're just protective of that and he was great and the guys are great and uh steven's been back to the store a couple of times since then when he's come to town and and um you know he always is cordial and nice and i think last time he was here he wore our shirts on stage and just you know just things like that so we're super appreciative to have, have him so and people he's that's one of the in stores where people literally come to the store and then you can see him looking around and you ask like, Hey, you need any help? And they're like, Oh, so this is where porcupine tree played. And I'm like, it is. Yes. And they're like, can you show me where exactly? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem at all. <laughs> yeah. I remember like, uh, like it was yesterday they were along that back wall and there was, you know, the roped off area for the artists. And, uh, you know, they, they came out, they did mostly, it was mostly acoustic with, with, um, Steven and, uh, John Wesley. And the other guys just kind of hung out and watched. And then, you know, they did, they did have an electric guitar for a couple of those songs. And uh, it was great because this, this album is fantastic. They did a, a nice little cross section of, of their stuff. And, and they even left in the mess ups. They, they left that stuff on the, on the recording. So all of that is, was very endearing. And it, it was, it was the first time I'd been into an in-store, but I I've been, uh, you know, my eyes were open to this is a, a really cool thing that you guys do there in addition. So the other thing about Porcupine Tree that, that uh, uh, reminds me to come back to our, our topic, what I reached out to you for was Record Store Day. I wasn't able to get their EP that came out this year on Record Store Day. I think there were, it was ridiculously small um, pressing mm-hmm. like 500 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And my time slot was like, like 9.15 maybe a.m. Mm-hmm. And I, so I thought I might have a shot. And uh, no, I didn't get it. So I, but I did get 
um, being a big, my favorite, first favorite record was Kiss Alive. So a big okay. Kiss fan. So of course I had to have the Eric Carr uh-huh. solo album and I had to also yep. get, get the CD. So yep. mm-hmm. the CD was, nice. um, according to what I read online, the CD was even rarer than the, the vinyl, which is kind of backwards, but uh figure why not just grab both. So record store day has, has changed quite a bit over the years. I remember the, the first time I went, I don't remember the exact year, but I, I think it was pretty early on in record store day. You guys had a food truck or two out front. Mm-hmm. And of course it was just, there was no time slots. You were just, you showed up and you got in line and you stood there mm-hmm. and you waited out mm-hmm. wrapped around the block. <laughs> and, uh, and this year, uh, I mean, what year did you guys go to time slots and, and drawing for, mm-hmm. for those uh, valuable slots? So it was probably for, um, the, so during the pandemic, so we were trying to figure out how to create a safe interaction records for day that first year of the pandemic, they instead of doing the, they couldn't do the day because it was so close when everything shut down. So they figured out to structure, break it into three days, three drops, they called them. And in that way, not knowing what was happening in different parts of the country, that there would be maybe a store could be open for all three, maybe it could be open for one or two of those. And they kind of split things up, trying to like alleviate crowds showing up and too many people and just trying to spread it out. So at that point, we were trying to figure out what to do and how to make it safe for ourselves, how to make it safe for people showing up. So we went to reservations and we talked with other record stores about like pros and cons of that. And then, of course, we tried it and just kind of learned from it. And the response was was huge from the customer side in terms of it was easier. It wasn't um, didn't wait in line for, you know, 12 hours, six hours, five hours, four hours. And in our mind, it was safer, not just because of the pandemic, but safer because we didn't have kids or anyone staying overnight outside the shop um, or lining up close to traffic. And so we just kind of refined it over the course of the pandemic. And the response was so positive. And even on the staff side, we all thought this is a much easier way to handle it. We didn't have to put all the records out on the shelves and let it be like first come, first serve and people jostling for the records and mm-hmm. read the menu. And just like it just felt like a more... Eh, just a better way to do it, I guess, you know, and, and for us, like earlier on, it evolved, like as the day got bigger and bigger, we just kind of went with what it was. And then it looked great to have those big photos of people lined up, mm-hmm. but logistically it was a nightmare <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, on many levels. So. Yeah. And the, the other businesses in the area, you know, the gas station on the corner, for example, probably was like, what is going on here? <laughs> get these yep. people wrapped around in front of my, front of my gas station but I, I liked what you guys did this year with the and i don't know when this this may have been a couple of years because it's been a couple of years since i uh stopped by last last year i think i came by the i only wanted like one or two so i came by the next day and was able to get them um, yeah uh but one of the things i liked this year you had these tents outside and you had uh lots of giveaways and you had you know there was promotional stuff and that kind of thing but i was able to snag a nice um you know a uh, turntable slip mat for mm-hmm. uh, one of my one of my favorite kiss records got to have that nice. i got a beatles mug and stickers and some things it was it's cool to get that stuff and um and just to enjoy the the day and just to kind of make it like a holiday for music lovers yeah yeah that's the point i mean we try to figure out we want to partner with our community as well so we get different food trucks different people out there our our, our t-shirt guys and gals, they come out and they screen print, screen print shirts for us. Mm-hmm. We try to have, we had a voter register, voter ID, well, voter ID, voter registration out this year. Um, we brought the social foundation out to give away tickets. Um, 
always trying to find something to make sense for the day and the space that we have. We can't go too big in the parking lot because we share it with our neighbors, mm-hmm. but we try to figure out something that makes sense for what's happening. And we try to mix it up each year as well, but just trying to put it together and again, make it, make it an event, you know, make it something going on to where it's, if you've got something you want, hopefully we can, we have it in stock and hopefully we can fulfill that need for people for record store day. We can't always, not because of Porcupine tree is a perfect example of that the pressing was so small. A lot of times the powers that be will turn those kind of things away because they're too small. They can't, they can't satisfy. You, you can't even give one record store, every record store who take partakes in records for day, a copy of that. So mm-hmm. it's allocated right from the get go. I think there's like 1300, what they consider pledge stores who have signed the pledge who are allowed to buy records for day goods and they couldn't even fulfill that you know what i mean so yeah uh, i think there were 500 pressing uh, 500 pressed of, of that ep and you know you look at this thing and you go wow there's i don't know what it was like i think six songs on it it's it's 35 dollars or whatever and, mm-hmm. but you know that's because of the scarcity and 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 because the whole point of this is to help your stores out right and yeah. get you know to get people out there to build the excitement you come out and like like i love the fact that you just fill out the form hand it in and then walk around and browse and i mean i'm look at me i'm old so i love browsing <laughs> record stores i mean that's that when i was in college even when i had no money i would go into a record store and blow three hours easily uh, yeah. just just checking out what's new and what what they have but um you know to walk in wait for your name to be called and hear your name and then you go back and you know, find out, oh, did they get everything? You know, did I get everything that I asked for and, and that kind of thing? And, and you know, it doesn't matter how many times you tell people don't congregate by that back area. They still do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. They do. I think just, it, it creates, and my, my crew back there just, I tell them, like, it's not going to, we can tell them, but it's not going to change it. I mean, they're just, people are excited to be there. Yeah. And my crew back there, they feel like everyone's kind of, you know, like, just coming down on face. Them, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah yeah they're under the microscope while they're while they're trying to do their job and fill these orders yep. I, yep. the only thing that really bothers me about it is that that's where you know all the, the really good used stuff is and i like to look through that stuff and it's like you can't get to it so i was I just, just I was, around the store and i you know look at what you guys have and 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 you know flip through records and go through the bins and and wait for my name to be called but not everybody's like that you know some people are just there for that you know Whatever, the taylor swift album or right. whatever you know right. one or two things and they want it I, I gotta have it and then i get out i i just look at the counter and go i'm not getting out of here anytime soon because there's a line waiting to check out so <laughs> may as well find some other things i could buy as well make yourself comfortable <laughs> yeah uh-huh. i mean and that's that's a great place to do it record store is a great place to you know for for those of us that that really just grew up loving music I agree. That's uh, that's what what's what it's there for. Uh, when vinyl started making its comeback, and I will admit, I I divested myself of all my vinyl years ago, and then came back to it. Um, mm-hmm. It was you know, I was not taught properly as a child that you need to do things like clean your records, store them properly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, well, records don't sound that great, you know. <laughs> because mine didn't mm-hmm. and i had a really cheap st- a sears stereo that didn't have you know all the the bells and whistles that you know you you didn't have a counterweight you had to put a penny on it that's not good for right. a record either that kind of thing so so mine weren't in great shape so year for years and years i i amassed 
CDs and, and I, you know, you have some as well. CDs were yep. convenient. You put a, play them in the car and all that stuff. But at some point, you know, you do miss that. It's like when you're, when you're reading the little booklet, trying to figure out what the lyrics are, because it, the type is so small, you really miss the, you know, the vinyl experience when you had the, the big gatefold and you pull out the lyric sheet and all that stuff. So when, what is in your experience, who, who is your main customer for vinyl today? Oh, today, the main, well, anyone and everyone. I mean, that's the crazy part. You know, it's like, I mean, I can look out in the store floor and at times middle of the day, it's, it can be, it can be half the population is, is young and they're women and they're shopping by themselves. They're not there hanging out with their friends. They're flipping through bins for records they want kind of stuff which to me is awesome you know it's like it's no longer i mean record stores tended to have a stereotype <laughs> they've had a few different stereotypes you know and i think it's a lot of them's been it's just been like you know it was always like old guys kind of preserving the records you know like and being particular about them and being snobby about them that kind of stuff and and now it's like it's it's not it's it's anybody and everybody kind of stuff you know and and um and i and i like that i like that you know for me one of my things, I guess, tenets of my business is that if you walk into my store and can't find something that you want, then I feel like we failed doing our job. I don't want to be necessarily a, a punk rock store or a hip hop store or a prog mm -hmm. rock store or any of those things. I want to be all those things. I want to be able to say, like, someone can walk into the shop and be able to hit this, this, or that kind of stuff, you know, and feel like, and feel like if you're in a jazz and we're carrying jazz records, we're your go-to place for jazz. If you're into, to, to R and B and soul, then that's our place. Your, your place for that is us kind of stuff. And you know, I want that. That's what I want. I don't want to be, I just want to be your record store. And now when I see all ages, all colors, all demos shopping for vinyl, that shows me it's transcended everything. And I think it's the ritual, the tactile experience, like you said about the idea of pulling out, you know, flipping the gatefold open pulling out the sleeve and being like, oh, there's lyrics on it. You know, like it allows you to kind of interact tact tactily, tactilely with, with that's a word, with, with the art, you know, with the artist head in mind kind of stuff, yeah. you know, and that's important. And I think as kids who have grew up just in a digital world, I think the idea of having a record to look at, having the artwork, having all those things, having the ritual to be active in the listening process, I think digital is very passive. You know, there's a use for it. You can get the gym, taking a walk, driving, you know, working, that kind of stuff. It's very passive. You know, it's, it's convenient. It's passive. But like listening to a record, listening to a cassette, listening to a CD, it's very much a ritual. You know, you've got to, especially for records, you got to kind of get up. You got to put the record on, drop the needle, hang out for a bit, get up, put the record, that kind of stuff. And it allows you then to also engage with the artwork. I think that's the lore of why vinyl has come back. I think that's why it's still strong. I think it's why it's going to continue to be strong. And even CDs at this point are 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 coming back. That generation who was, I think, the millennials, so to speak, who were the ones who were very upset that a CD cost fifteen dollars and that somehow record stores became the bad guys in that equation, and that they wanted to rip and steal and take and then stream all those things. Totally understand to a certain degree. But now this new generation, if I look on the floor in the CD section. It's usually two things, usually kids under 23, 24 buying CDs and folks over 40 buying CDs. And I watch millennials come by and make fun of the CDs <laughs> and then kind of like they did when they made fun of us carrying records way before, you know, and and now I can see like I look down the aisle and it's just kids who are 
buying new CDs and used CDs and our CD sales are going up. And I think that was bound to happen in a certain sense because everything that's old is new again. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as price of records go up and if you want to collect physical goods, you can, you can walk in the shop and say in 2005 with 30 bucks and walk out with a stack of LPs. You walk into the store in, in 2023 with 30 bucks, you can probably get one LP, but you can get a stack of 10, 12 CDs where you can only get two CDs back then. Mm -hmm. So like that's flipped. And for folks who want to collect, just collect and listen, like that's a deal. CDs are a deal and they're, you know, they're tactile and as streaming as we're seeing with movies and happening with streaming channels, as they start to cut the, the catalog and figure what they can afford to carry, that's going to happen if it's not already happening with the streaming services with music, you know? So, mm -hmm. so there's that too, but I'm babbling at this point. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, one of the things that I, I feel like is, um, is something I was curious about. And, and I think that you'd be a great person to ask is in your mind, how has record store day evolved over the years? How has it changed both for the better and, and maybe things, some things that you may maybe don't like as much. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, for the better, it, it did what it set out to do was change the conversation. <clears throat> you know, it went from us being like all the press that was happening about record stores was negative and it changed the conversation to being like the celebration of these stores, these, these, these experiences that are part of communities that have always been part of communities and will continue to be. So like it did that, like it definitely, I mean, we saw it, we felt it, you know, we saw the excitement, people showed up, continue to show up, that sort of thing. The, the things that aren't good about records today, there's smaller things, you know, it, it's, it's the frustration of not getting enough porcupine tree to satisfy your customers, mm. not getting enough 1975 to satisfy your customers. You know, um, sometimes folks look at it as being like that the record store didn't do its job or we didn't, you know, that kind of thing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that's frustrating because you don't want to, as just a business person, you don't want to turn away business. If someone wants to buy something, you want to be provided to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's, that's been tricky. They've, they've tried to figure out that balance of supply and demand of making sure that there's not too many, so it doesn't flood the market, but also that there's enough to satisfy what's there kind of stuff, you know? And, um, I'm trying to think what else that's not been great about record store day. I have to be careful here because I think it, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think the thing that I've watched with my own friends as they've gotten older is that they might've been into record store day 10 years ago, 12 years ago, because they were active in their lives, listening to music and consuming music. And as they maybe as their lives diversify with families or jobs or friends kind of stuff, that music maybe is not at the forefront of that experience anymore. And then therefore people start to say, well, there's nothing good this year in record store day. Well, uh, I don't think that as somebody who's actively still buying and selling music, mm -hmm. you know, I look at the list each year and I'm eager to see the list myself to see what's going to be come out. And, you know, and I can be like, oh, this is a good list. This is hitting all the different demos and that kind of stuff. But you start hearing some of the folks who are like, no, there's nothing good. And, you know, even this past year, some of the chatter online was there's nothing. It's not a great list. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, there are lots of great things here, both on things on a very large scale to a very small independent scale. It's just like, and, you know, it's, and it's all what the artist and management and bands and labels decide that they can curate to put up there, you know, and there's, I know there's as many titles come out, there's probably another 
two, three hundred that are rejected, you know, because either not the pressing size is not big enough or the pricing's too high, or they just don't think it's, you know, RSD quality. You know, it's got to be want to be unique, special, a cool piece that kind of does something for the fan base and for the artists kind of thing. So <clears throat> I'm trying to think what else. I mean, it's as a business owner, there's sometimes there was stress about having to take a chance on all that, all those titles, all those numbers, and what that would do to your store if no one showed up or only so many people showed up or if they all tanked and then also dealing with the billing and dating and like just the financial aspect and the folks powers that be and labels and vendors have worked to help alleviate those stresses for stores over the years by giving you better dating giving you a chance to, to stagger your billing kind of stuff and and those kind of things um and for us locally i'm always shocked at the lack of and i know it's because we're shadowed live in the shadow of the theme parks and of the tourism industry but i watch my friends who've got stores in other other markets across the country and other cities and towns and sometimes the lack of um appreciation for record stores as well as this event that helps you know satisfy demand on terms of the music fan base but also in terms of helping these stores stay alive that they can do good things for their communities kind of stuff so how many people would you say go through your maybe you know the exact amount how many people come into your store on record store day as opposed to a normal saturday <laughs> um so it's a it's it's definitely trying to think how many so the number of transactions for this past records today compared to normal saturday is about four or five times the number of actual transactions the dollar equivalent is much higher because people are buying bigger stacks um whereas on a saturday you might come in by maybe one or two records or three records but maybe on record store day there's a lot more that you're you're picking up maybe you buying six records just seven records or eight records kind of thing so so like it, it doesn't scale proportionally um mm -hmm. it scales dramatically different in terms of the amount of records that someone's picking up or titles are picking up in rsd um compared to, to normal saturday um and then of course this year was definitely um you know an asterisk because taylor swift you know gifted independent record stores <laughs> uh a really nice nice prize um and that worked out really well for us and for all the stores out there yeah, I can attest to people buying a little more. The guy next to me in line bought. I, I remarked at the fact that he had picked up the uh, the live Van Halen release because I looked at that and it was just out of my price range. It was too much. It was, I think, it was a triple vinyl, and it was, you know, hundred bucks or more. Yep. And that guy had a stack of records in his hand when he checked out that had to have been easily five or six hundred dollars worth of records yeah it's all crazy. new stuff and it was like i was like does your wife know you're doing this <laughs> <laughs> because i don't know how you get away with that um but you know credit cards are are wonderful things i guess but um yeah. magic <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me about the the process beforehand because you guys get literally pallets of stuff that you mm -hmm. have to store, you have to go through, you have to, you know, separate it, whatever you do, you get it, you know, get your station set up so you know where everything is, so you can fill the orders. Like, what is the outlay in terms of, uh, um, not outlay, that's the wrong word, but what is the, uh, what are the logistics involved with, um, you know, preparing for record store day? 
It's crazy. I mean, we, so, I mean, we're, we start preparing for records today, probably right after Christmas in terms of thinking about knowing the date is figuring out the calendar, looking at those things. They start to give you the labels, start to give you kind of the records for day itself. The, 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 the organization that runs the event will set out the dates of when orders are dropping in terms of solicitations, when, when the orders are due, all that stuff. There's a lot of segments to it. So like, for instance, I'm the buy, main buyer at the shop. So my job is to, to once they list, drop that list, we're ready to go out with a survey to the community to find out what they're interested in, which we, I use that, those numbers and that, in that survey, we will ask the obvious things about in terms of like check off the ones you're looking for, but also we'll ask for some feedback from customers just so that we can kind of get some insight. We, I use that survey result, that surveying those results to figure out my buying. I look at previous, um, how all these artists or band is trending for us in the store. So like I look at our, our previous releases by that band, if they had a previous RSD release or something similar, I'll look to see some of the artists and artist camp, some of the legacy artists like a Hendrix or a Dylan, you know, sometimes they come to the, to the table almost every event. And so you can kind of see like, you know, U2 is a good example of that, you know, and see like, is, are they, where are those numbers from the last couple of years? Are they going up, up, they going down? Are they kind of, you know, holding steady? So we use, I use a lot of like secret sauce, recipe stuff to figure out what we think. And the survey, we started doing that a couple of years ago, I think prior to the pandemic. And that's helped me a lot too, because as a buyer, there's I'm familiar with a lot of things, but not familiar with everything. So I can see if something starts to spike in the survey results. And I do that. I work with some other stores around the nation. We have a little buying group. We sit around and over the phone and or Zoom and kind of like, we all bring information to the table to figure out like pro cons, the titles. It's really a, that process is pretty entrenched. And the same time when we start putting that survey out there, we start staging figuring out designing on the back end, the, the reservation system, how big we think the day is going to be. We upped our reservations per 20 minute time slot because we knew with the Taylor Swift piece, what that might do or might not do in terms of just overwhelming the store, maybe pushing some customers out of the way because these kids were really into that artist, trying to figure out some release valves to try to help make sure that those who come out every year would still have a great experience and maybe those who might be their first time coming out to a record store day event would also have a good experience so we had a lot of conversations about what that looked like how we're going to do it what we need to be aware of um from our parking situation to the reservations to our staffing to how we message certain things online um you know we just we have a lot of things that go into place and at that point stuff starts to show up so we we do reservations. That's a whole like online social media campaign. I've got a crew who are doing that responsible for that. I've got a crew who are responsible for doing all the receiving. Those pallets start to arrive probably about two weeks prior to record store day. That was one thing that early on, probably the first 10 years, you would get stuff Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and now they're allowing us to stage everything a little earlier. It allows you to to kind of get everything opened up, make sure it's in good shape, numbers are there, report damages, that sort of thing, get it organized. I mean, we streamlined things last couple of years. We don't price the merchandise anymore because just that saves us one less time of having to touch every single piece of music that we get, any tape or CD or, or LP. So we don't price them. Um, it saves some resources, obviously, but also just saves time and energy and effort. This year we had to store merchandise off of off premises and our storage units we rented a u-haul van for the week 
so we could make trips back and forth between storage, um, staging all that, and then and then getting it organized in the back room. If there's a there's each department of the store has their own own set of like where they are in the calendar to get things done, mm-hmm. and then it's pretty much and even after the actual day leading into that Sunday and that week after, then my online sales team kind of takes over as well. So you have the, the buyer takes is the first part. Uh, marketing does kind of the second part of it. Receiving does the re- actual receiving and databasing and organizing of the merchandise. And then the online sales kind of takes over at the end and does that. And then we kind of pull everything together afterwards to kind of do a recap of what's happening um, and figure out what worked this year, what didn't work this year, and how to go into the following year kind of stuff. But it's definitely an all hands on deck type of scenario. Yeah, um, yeah it's crazy. I would imagine. Sandy, what happens to record store day titles that don't get sold? <clears throat> well, that's been a big discussion uh, point for stores for many years. <clears throat> and, you know, there's, I think, ways that y- you need to approach that as a store. Some things, you know, we miss by and we might miss by because we thought more people in our neighborhood would want that title and they don't. And it's a good title. So you can still kind of maybe move them in other places online, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a title just lands DOA where maybe... You know, that's, that's the worst nightmare for, for everybody involved, for the artist, for the fan, for the stores, that putting a piece out there that's not of substance that people want to get behind. Um, that becomes a little trickier. I don't like calling them like leftovers. You know, like when, for me, when I'm looking at a list of titles, I have like two main points. I'm like, is this a legacy piece? Meaning that if we get, if we have this piece after that day, Will it look good in the bins that if somebody comes down to Park Ave in three months or six months and walks over to Porcupine Tree and sees that EP, they're going to be stoked that it's still sitting there? Or is it a piece where like everyone's stuck with it and it's sitting in the bin and it's doesn't have any legs? It's not going to be something people are thrilled about. Like those kind of pieces we think we buy for just like, I'd rather buy those enough to sell out on the day of and not worry about having that piece afterwards. If it's something like a Taylor Swift or Porcupine Tree, uh, there's, you know, Hendrix, whoever else adores, like having those kind of legacy artists or legacy quality pieces in my store for a period of time afterwards is not a bad thing. We did a pandemic first time went with selling online to see how that would work. We felt like it did a couple of things for us. It helped move some merchandise that we're sitting on. It kept a lot of the flippers who come back <laughs> to the store on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, trying to buy more. It keeps them from doing that, we don't put any merchandise now on the floor until about a week, at least a week after our record store day, because we're trying to make sure that the staff aren't being driven crazy. We'd have folks who come in in the morning and come back at night with shift changes, trying to buy more, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't, we can't prevent 100% of people flipping all the time, but we can at least reduce the chances of that happening. Yeah. So we do that, goes online. If someone walks in the store on that Sunday and says, hey, do you have this piece? If we have it, we'll sell it to them, but it's not on the floor. We're just not giving, we're just making a free for all. And then we, this year we changed something different. So after that week goes by, we used to create a records for day section out on the floor where people could go and look at the stuff. And this year we decided just to go ahead and blend it with all the artists sections themselves. And so that way, because what we've heard was people walking by the section, like, oh, look at all the old, look at all the RSD stuff they have left over that they couldn't sell. And it's like, well, no. That's not we couldn't sell it. We're just putting it in a place to make it easy to see. Yeah. But we figured let's just change the conversation. And if they walk to the section, they see it sit in the section, they may be like, oh, they still have one. Cool. Versus saying, 
it's left over kind of stuff. So, yeah. and if it gets to the point where we just can't move it anywhere, we'll just either sell it what we can get for it online somewhere, or we'll put it into grab bags or do a sale price on it, that kind of thing. But luckily we don't have that much of that kind of titles happening. Um, and I think RSD has done a better job of trying to go back and push back on an artist or group or label and say, Hey, <clears throat> this is a one song, 12 inch. <laughs> this is expensive. Can you guys go back to the table and see if you can get a little more creative with this? Because the last thing we want an RSD wants is for a title to be DOA, you know, where it doesn't help anybody, it doesn't help the store, doesn't help the event, doesn't help the artist or the band or the label to have something out there that people don't think is a quality piece kind of stuff. So I do know the folks at Records for Day do push back to ask labels and artists and management to come back with something a little more creative or interesting for the fan base. Well, I like what you guys did with the for the Swifties this year with the uh, coupons. You can come... You know, if, if all you wanted was the Taylor Swift, you know, come get a coupon, you go straight to the checkout and we've we got a stack of them there and you can mm -hmm. buy it and just walk out, kind of keep the flow going a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It worked good. They, they were, they were great. I mean, it, there was some, you know, any event like this is big for us. There's going to be some hiccups and some speed bumps kind of stuff, but you know, the kids were great. The parents who came out were also great. You know, uh, sometimes the the kids are better than the parents <laughs> um, who came out for pieces like this, but uh, they were all great. And we, you know, we knew this is going to be a big piece and we made sure we had enough on hand to take care of them where all the anxiety that might've happened, we could, we could kind of help quell that because we knew we had enough to take care of the demand. And then the same time, making sure it's a positive experience for them. If this was their first time shopping a record store and if uh and then for everybody else who maybe wasn't interested in that piece who were coming out to record store too that where it didn't interfere you know um and i felt like we did a pretty good job of that um knowing that if i were to remove the taylor swift from our equation from our business that day we still had far and beyond our best record store day ever so i feel like the t swift was a gift and i love that gift and it was great but even minus that gift we still had a we still had our best day in the history of the store. That's great. Well, you talked about uh, you know going to online sales and and how that uh, is another avenue for you. And, and another thing you guys have done is embraced social media. You've got these records uh, record drops on Wednesdays and Fridays on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of builds excitement. You know what are, you know, what what are they going to find this this week? You know these are all used records and. Um, or most of them are used records. I think there's been a few, you know, new ones, but uh, yeah. how did that idea come about? And, and, you know, when did you start implementing that? So we got lucky. So fall of 2019, we decided to finally sign up with a, a, a web store that was connected. It kind of worked with a bunch of independent record shops across the nation and was tied in with a couple of our vendors to have all the information, have all the metadata, that sort of thing that we could use and have track listings and album artwork and yada, yada, yada. So we got to kick the tires in that for a few months, not knowing what was around the corner and the, in the, you know, spring, I guess, winter, spring of that 2020. So we were already kind of getting our toes wet, figuring that out. Pandemic happens. We're now, we have store full of records, doors are locked. How do we stay in business? How do we do this now? And so the web store became very valuable at that point and also figuring out what can we do with records that use records and things that we had in the store that how can we generate revenue so looking around online we saw a store out in california that was doing these drops where like they're just loading up everything and doing showcase on instagram 
So the crew that was here at that point, we're down to four of us who decided to be here. And we just started figuring out ways to do online sales, both on the use side, through social media, through a web store, um, figuring out that what can we do in order to stay in business, in order to keep revenue coming in kind of stuff. So it was really a necessity, you know, and, and people reacted to it really, really well. And, you know, this first few weeks, I was literally staying here at night, pulling new records and pulling used records to figure out, to try to do different themes, different stuff and doing records, doing drops every day. And we were using our main Instagram page, which some folks didn't like that. And we lost some people from that because we were just flooding their feeds with records. But at the time that was our largest following we had, and we needed to capitalize on that. And so, so that worked out really well for us and then we've now just slowly morphed it into twice a week and we're now we're talking about doing a third day and trying to figure out another theme for it but it, it drove business for a while and allowed us to kind of keep paying the rent when we couldn't open the doors and then we figured out too like what do you do for people who maybe still want to support you but are anxious and nervous or have health issues with the pandemic so then all of a sudden it became this idea of like the web store can do that. We can ship to our customers locally. We can do curbside. We can do, we can ship across the country. And so we just kind of dove into that. And it really, the pandemic forced our hand to, to jump into that world. And it's, it's been great for us. Sandy, you own a record store. Do you still buy records for your own personal that you take home and, and you use yourself? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, I'm probably more selective. Like people ask me like all the time, like, Oh man, I wonder what your record collection looks like. I'm like, you're looking at it. Just look around the store. Like this is this is my record collection to a certain degree. Yeah, I've got copies of stuff at home, but but yeah, I'm more selective what I take home for space limitations, both on the CD side and the LP side. Um, but yeah, there's things I get excited about, and and I you know I mean my my guys downstairs who do use vinyl, like I'll look occasionally, but I've learned not to look because I just pull stuff that I want, you know, which is nice and easy, but. It's not great for space issues and that kind of stuff. And I know that I, you know, I've got to, I got to, I can't take home all the records. I can't, you know, take all the profit and put it in records going home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely records. And I look for stuff. I mean, each record store, the other things coming out, there's all the tone poet reissues, all the blue note and verve reissues that are happening, all the Coltrane stuff they found over the last couple of years. Like, you know, I, I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to look at it. I'm excited to touch it. Like it's still, um, it's still a bug that I, that I very much, um, that I very much have. Yeah. Is there an art to, um, you know, buying someone's used records, finding what is, you know, what you think you can move and how to, who, how to price it so that you think it will sell? Yeah. I mean, first thing you have to be, you have to be, you have to be really gentle and mindful of the collection that's coming in. I mean, this was somebody's pride and joy you know this is this is their collection of music and you know and, and it might or it might have been someone that they they live with or a family member who might have passed away or whatever kind of stuff but i mean it's somebody's they someone took the time to actually this is their likes this is their passions they found these records and cds they brought them home they live with them you know they did lots of things with them probably and so when they come in you gotta be mindful of that first be respectful of that kind of stuff and so there's certain things that we look at obviously condition and quality and seeing what they are and and being mindful of using the right terminology if if maybe someone brings in a cd collection that's not in the best shape you can be like oh we can tell these are these are some great titles they've really been loved you know but mm -hmm. but maybe they're not you know in the best of shape 
for us kind of stuff. The same with the records, obviously, they're a little more fragile than the CDs are. But just being mindful of what you have in front of you, why they're bringing it in. Sometimes it could be somebody who needs to pay rent and they need to get laid off. And all of a sudden they're now using their records or CDs to generate revenue kind of stuff. Sometimes it's people just like, I want to, I'm tired of these. I want to flip these and buy some new records kind of stuff. You know, there's so many different, different things that happen, but just being mindful of what, what they have. And we ask, I mean, sometimes, you know, no matter how long you've been a record shop, and I tell this to, to everyone who gets a job here is that I'd rather hire somebody who's got a great smile and who's friendly and who knows nothing about music, but is curious because they'll ask a million questions than somebody who thinks they know everything about music because they're not going to be open to much kind of stuff, you know? So, mm-hmm. so we'll ask people like, what do you have here that's that's what do you think that we should pay attention to tell us what you got kind of stuff in case it's a huge stack of records we don't have time to like some time we're buying on spec you know they'll check condition on a few things the bigger the record collection we'll ask customers let us know what you have tell us what you think is unique and special to help us figure out the best way of this kind of stuff or we'll even ask them like what are you looking for like because sometimes folks in the media hearing that records are back sometimes think that all records or if they see a story about a beatles record selling for an insane amount of money or for any record selling for insane amount of money they think like oh i got records i had the jackpot let's yeah. go down to the record shop and and get some cash for them so you know and get something to explain like well yeah you know that aerosmith record you know when it came out it sold back in the day you know 10 million copies there's 10 million copies of the record lying around somewhere kind of stuff you know and if it's been loved and used and worn it's not going to be as valuable maybe as the edition that comes out this past year they repressed you know because of the fact that it's on better vinyl and it's new and that sort of thing that's all it's a delicate hand-holding process and we try to always be upfront and forward we use some online pricing matrices in terms of discogs to see what the market place is going for conditions that kind of stuff and we try to make sure that we're fair you know like i want folks to sell us their records i want folks to trade in the records here at the shop and we make sure if we're paying the most and giving the most that kind of ensures that people hopefully are bringing them to us and I've got three storage units filled with used records that aren't priced yet that still need to go on the floor kind of stuff. And uh, it's just a delicate process, but it's, again, it's, you know, it's fun. There's been some great stories, some fun stuff you find in the records, some fun, some fun stuff you hear about the records. And it's just part of the, part of the, what makes working records for fun. Yeah. What, uh, before we let you get out of here, what, um, yeah. what are some of the bands or some of the albums that are, that, you know, have caught your attention recently? Recently, uh, there's a live cold train that's coming out from the village Vanguard. I think that they just discovered, um, that's supposed to be like a three LP set and I'm a pretty big cold train fan. So I'm going to be hitting up the guys at impulse for a copy of that. Um, they just announced the hit, a new Hiss Golden Messenger on Merge Records, and he's been putting out records for a long time and and uh, through Merge and independent guy on the Carolinas, and it's very Dylan at times, very folk folk pop, but also just a little jammy. And um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, trying to think what else that's on the horizon that I'm looking forward to. Um, the weird thing for me is that I'm already buying records that come out in July and August, so it's this weird thing of like you know records come through and then their you know next batch comes out the yellow tango record that came out a couple months ago that was uh, a highlight for me the national record that came out a few weeks ago as well um nash i've been a national fan yellow tango fan for many many years and so when my old like you know fallbacks put something out and it's their strong releases i get excited and um 
yeah, there's just, there's, I, yeah, there's lots of stuff all the time. Well, I'm sure that I could talk to you for days about uh, record stores and records, but uh, I will let you get out of here. Be mindful of your time. Sandy Bittman, owner of Park Ave CDs in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for your time, for coming on and telling me a little bit about rec- your record store day experiences and about owning a record store. And, you know, it is a little bit like Empire Records in that you, you know, you worked there, you managed it, and then you got sold it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like that. My wife says I'm, I'm like the guys in... Uh, High fidelity who sit there and argue about you know whether <laughs> which pressing uh-huh, uh-huh yeah yeah that kind of thing yeah a little snobby she thinks but uh uh i don't think so i think i'm i got a pretty pretty wide palette i think you just care a lot that's all i do care a lot thank you so yep. much for your time i appreciate it it's been fun thanks michael appreciate it Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.